1: about the Lord as if he knows him real well don't you know the God of David don't you know that but the real problem with Abijah's reign he didn't have a personal relationship with God see that's a big problem sometimes today many people know who the Lord is and many people will tell you well I believe in God they might even do good works they might even do good things but they have no ongoing relationship with Him.
0: You may know a lot about your favorite athlete or movie star. You may even kind of feel like you're friends, but you really aren't. You don't have a personal relationship with them. Well, it can be like that with God, too. Today, Pastor Dave encourages you to move beyond just knowledge and get to know God personally. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 13 as he begins his message, The Overruling Sovereign Hand of God.
1: So as I was studying in Second Chronicles, I came across this paragraph describing basically what we're going to read through and hence the title of the overruling sovereign hand of God. Quote, were it not for the overruling sovereign hand of God, the Jewish nation could never have accomplished what God had called them to do. Bearing witness of the one true and living God, writing the scriptures and bringing the Savior into the world, unquote. The overruling sovereign hand of God. Think about that a minute. When you think of that sovereign hand, when you think of God's plan, whether it be for you individually, whether it be for us collectively as a church, whether it be for this nation, When you think of God's hand, I can tell you with all certainty that no one nor anything can thwart the plan of God. Nothing will ever deter God from his righteous plan. For you, for me, for this church, for this nation. God will always find a way to accomplish his agenda. And as we come now to this part of this really historical book, we remember that Israel has broken into two kingdoms once again. Now, we study this at length in the book of First and Second Kings. But here we are again, and the chronicler is writing these things. The northern kingdom now is called Israel. They've kept the name Israel. There's 10 tribes into the north. They are led by a man named Jeroboam. The southern kingdom, consisting of two tribes, are under the king that we're going to study, Abijah. We know that through our study from the book of kings, the leaders of both kingdoms have departed from the Lord and are beginning to serve idols. They are committing what is known as spiritual adultery. They have left the one true living God and they are now serving idols. And it seems like more so in the north because none of them ever return. However, we know in the south, in Judah, every now and then a good king comes and he does various things. But they lead and are leading the people whom they rule over astray. They're leading them far from God. And in the long run it doesn't fare well for both of them because they eventually forsake the living God. And we know what happens having studied the book of Kings and 1st and 2nd Kings. We know that Israel the northern kingdom is carried away to Assyria and we know that the southern kingdom Judah is eventually carried away to Babylon. And we know that this book is being written after they have come back from that exile in Babylon. While the focus of first and second kings is on the kings of the northern kingdom, the focus of first and second chronicles is on David's dynasty in Judah. Remember that the record keeping was a little different. So things can get fuzzy, especially names. Names can be a tad different here and there. So I want to take you for a minute and read what is written in 1 Kings 15 about Abijah, who happens to have the name Abijam in 1 Kings. So I'm reading 1 Kings 15, 1 through 8 to start off with. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, son of Nabat, Abijam became king over Judah, He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Makkah and the granddaughter of Absalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord, his God, as was the heart of his father, David. Actually, David was his grandfather. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord, his God, gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, by setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he had commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. And there was a war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. Now the rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was a war between Abijam and Jeroboam. So Abijam rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. So this is what, was we, what was we studied when we studied through the book of 1 Kings. So the chronicler now is recalling those events. And he doesn't go in that detail. He leaves out some things, which I think is very, very interesting, which we'll, we'll talk about when we get to that time. So Abijam is the son of Rehoboam. Like I said, he would be, he would be Solomon's grandson and David's great grandson. I misspoke. He reigned for three years. He was handpicked by his father to be king. He was handpicked by his father to be king. While he may have had David's blood, He did not have David's heart. He did not have a relationship with the Lord. In fact, in that verse 15, chapter 15 of 1 Kings, in verse 3, it says, He walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David. So right away, you see there's a problem. Right away you can see that there's going to be some sort of a problem here. Many think, and we'll get to that in a minute, this is why his kingdom or his reign only lasted three years. This is why his reign. So we're in 2 Chronicles, verse 13. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, Abijah became king over Judah. Now, again, remember I said... The names may be fuzzy, but they're the same people. Abijam is Abijah. All right, you got that? Good. I'm glad you guys got it. Make for a heck of a rap song, wouldn't it? I don't know. So, And he he reigned in Jerusalem three years. His mother's name was Micaiah and the daughter of Ural the Gibba. And there was a war between Abijah and Jeroboam. So we have this. We see this. It's the same person. For some reason, the Chronicle changed his name. We don't really know why. It's not important. We notice his reign was only three years, and from 1 Kings, we know that this was why, because he he didn't walk in the way of the Lord. So the Lord didn't bless his reign. He didn't bless him at all. And there was a war going on. Look at verse 3. There was a war going on between Jeroboam and Abijah. Now, this is interesting because this is the only time where you see the northern kingdom king and the southern kingdom king chronicled in parallel here. We don't see that any other times, but there was a war going on. Let's look at verse three. Abijah set the battle within order and the army of valiant warriors, 400,000 choice men. Jeroboam also drew up in battle formation against him with 800,000 choice men, mighty men of valor. So Judah is outnumbered two to one, 400,000. To 800,000. But Abijah is looking for a truce. So he basically preaches a sermon to the men of Jeroboam. And that's what we have in verses 4 through 12. Let's read that. Then Abijah stood on Mount Zimriam, which is in the mountains of Ephraim, and said, Hear me, Jeroboam, and all Israel. Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David forever, to him and his sons, by a covenant of salt? Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against the Lord. Then worthless rogues gathered to him and strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and inexperienced and could not withstand them. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord, which is in the hand of the sons of David. And you are a great multitude and with you are gold calves, which Jeroboam made for you as gods. Have you not cast out the priest of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites and made for yourselves priests like the people of other lands? So that whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bull and seven rams may be a priest. Of the things that are not God's, but as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken Him, and the priests who minister to the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites attend to their duties, and they burn to the Lord every morning and every evening, burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. they also set up the showbread and order the pure gold table and the lampstand of gold with its lamps to burn every evening. For we keep the command of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. Now look, God himself is with us as our head, and his priests with sounding trumpets to sound the alarm against you. Oh, children of Israel, do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers. You shall not prosper. Well, wow. So, interesting. So, we see right off the bat that although we're told in First Kings that Abijah doesn't have a great relationship with the Lord. He does know the Lord. He's speaking about the Lord as if he knows him real well. Don't you know the God of David? Don't you know that? But the real problem with Abijah's reign, he didn't have a personal relationship with God. See, that's a big problem sometimes today. Many people know who the Lord is. And many people will tell you, well, I believe in God. They might even do good works. They might even do good things. But they have no ongoing relationship with him. They don't have that personal relationship. They don't have that born-again experience by having a relationship with him. Their relationship is superficial. Oh, it looks great on the outside, but deep within, there's no true relationship. It's all fluff and no substance. And we see that happen a lot. We see that happen. I mean, when you're out witnessing to somebody, you'll say, well, do you know God? Well, yeah, I know God. But do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus, the way to God? Oh, well, I, you know, then they start to hymn and hall because they really don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, which is what the Bible tells us we have to have. But Abijah's argument was the fact that the dynasty of David was the only legitimate one to rule over the tribes of Israel. There were no other legitimate dynasties that were going to rule. In fact, there was never a dynasty in the other other group, including the 10 tribes. They were under rebellion. And I love the fact that Abijah is kind of, he's not really telling the truth. Although Jeroboam did rebel against Solomon. Remember, it was the Lord that made Jeroboam rebel. And he talks about Rehoboam like Rehoboam was some sort of a saint. When he says that, I like what he says here. <laughs> Worthless rogues strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and inexperienced and could not withstand them. Well, remember Rehoboam, when the elders came to him and said, lighten up, take the taxes away. Rehoboam said, I'm, if you think my dad was hard, I'm going to be even harder than him. Remember? And he caused his own problem. So the chronicler here is not really given the whole picture of Rehoboam, but I think there's a reason for that. It's interesting here that the promise that God made to David is called a covenant of Saul. I find that to be extremely interesting. It means it's a very serious covenant because it is sealed by sacrifice. In fact, In Leviticus, in the law, the book of the law, Leviticus, in chapter 2, in verse 13, it says this, And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. It's interesting that he says that. Why? Because salt makes a pure covenant Salt stays pure as a chemical compound. It's an enduring covenant because salt is a preservative and it's meant to endure. And it's a valuable covenant because salt at that time was very expensive. It was very expensive. So he called it a covenant of salt. This, what was being told was an unbreakable treaty. It was sealed by the word of the Lord. It was sealed by what the Lord told Moses in Leviticus. I looked at this, and I started thinking about this. We have a new covenant. We have a new covenant. It's not a covenant of salt, but a still-sealed covenant. It's much greater than this covenant because it's sealed in the blood of God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. It's a greater covenant. In fact, in Matthew 5, in verse 13... Listen to what Jesus says as he gives his sermon on the mount. In verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot my men. Wow. Jesus, why did he say this? He said this because he intends for us as salt of the world to be a purifying influence in the world. We're to be a purifying influence in the world. I personally don't believe that righteousness will ever come through the political process. I've always heard of the silent majority. We've heard of that a lot. But unfortunately, I think the church is now the silent majority. And I think it's high time for the church to wake up and speak up. It's high time for the Lord, this church to stand up and, and stand for righteousness. We've been silent way too long. How much longer can we be silent? The time is coming when we're going to have to speak up and stand up for righteousness. I don't believe that righteousness will ever come by legislation. I don't believe it. Only the perfect law of God was given to make men righteous. But guess what? It couldn't. Even the perfect law couldn't make men righteous. Righteousness comes through revival of the Holy Spirit. Righteousness comes through revival of the Holy Spirit. Remember what it says in Second Chronicles, how a revival will start in Second Chronicles 7? Come on. We all know it. We all say it. God says, if my people were called by my name, would humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. Society is only changed by the changing of men and women's hearts. I can prove that. Look at the book of Acts. Look at the book of Acts. Everywhere Paul went, everywhere the group went and preached the gospel, they upset the norm. They upset the norm. And societies were changed. Just look at Ephesus. Just look at Ephesus where they had the great statue of Diana and they had prostitutes who would line things to collect money for Princess Diana. They were making all these little mold of of idols that they were selling. When Paul came in and preached Jesus, people started turning to Jesus and they were no longer buying those things. And subsequently there was a riot. There was a riot. So see, it's the Lord who changes men's heart through the Holy Spirit. And that's what changes politically. That's what changes society. Jesus said to the church, the salt has lost its flavor. It's good for nothing to be cast out. It's no longer salty. It can't be giving to be effective in preserving society from what's happening in it. It's sad. And as I thought about this, I know that the church has basically lost their testimony in modern times. The criticism became the order of the day. Rather than change the world, church became part of the world. The church, part of the world. You go into some churches, you can't tell where the church begins or the world left off. You can't tell that. Hope was to become popular to the world, to give the world something to think. But what have they refused to do? They refused to talk about the doctrines of sin and atonement. They refuse to talk about the cross. They refuse to talk about that because they don't want to hurt anybody. They don't want to offend anybody in this cancel culture. We don't want to offend anybody's opinion. We don't offend anybody's. We don't want to hurt your feelings. We don't want to say sin. They don't want to say sin. They don't want to call it sin. The doctrines were watered down so that they would be more acceptable. So he wouldn't hurt someone's feeling when they came in and sat before us. Voices questioning the accuracy of the scripture. It's no more than what Satan said to Eve. Has God really said this? Are these really God's word? I mean, there was all kinds of things. The the Jesus seminar who went and looked and said, well, 90% of these words that read weren't spoken by Jesus. Goes on and on and on and on. They deny the virgin birth. They deny Jesus' deity. They deny the cross. They deny his resurrection. Sunday school programs begin to teach evolution and they forget about Adam and Eve. They said it's necessary to take the Bible literally. Oh, you can't do that. You can't take it literally. There's still a great move for the church to become more relevant. How do we become more relevant to people? Has this changed over the years? Has God changed somehow? What does the scripture says? I am the Lord, I change not. The the scriptures are still the scriptures. They're just as important today as they were thousands of years ago when they were written. They're just as important today. But the church has become seeker friendly. Why? They want to fill the seats. They want to fill the seats. They want to have these mega churches and things where they teach a great motivational speech. They teach a great motivational thing. But they eliminate words like sin and guilt and hell. They appeal to the worldly mind. They create an atmosphere where people won't be recognized that they're in church. Let's not make it too churchy. They talk about philosophy, psychology. They say Jesus was a great person, but he was just a high moral teacher. They talk about how you can be rich and prosperous. And you can have anything you want. If you follow certain principles that are laid out here. And what has happened? The word of God has been lost in the shuffle. The word of God is no longer valued as the word of God. It's been lost. Major denominations are losing members and they're dying off. No wonder. They don't use the gospel to save lives anymore. The salt is not salty. Salty. Are
0: sure You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave is sharing teachings that comes out of the ministry of Calvary Chapel Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. In today's message, Pastor Dave has been in the book of Second Chronicles. Within this book, you get to know all kinds of characters who made an impact on Israel's history, good or bad. A notable lesson that's given through this account is that God gives blessing to His people when they remain faithful. But when people allow their sin nature to take over, it's easy to see how things start to unravel and then fall apart. Just like a closely knit stitch on a blanket, the people of God were blessed and stayed united with God while they were following His ways. But when they turned to their own devices, they just became a tangled mess of yarn in a sense. Their purpose and plan became useless when they were following their own way and what they thought was best. Isn't it easy to get into this type of situation where you think you know better than God? Before you know it, you've become your own tangled and messy pile of yarn as well. How about following God's pattern and seeing the benefit of what that brings? If you'd like to hear more messages from Second Chronicles, learning of God's faithfulness, go to assurehoperadio.com and look under the Messages tab. Well, we're about out of time for today's edition, but we encourage you to think and pray about what God's teaching you personally through this series in 2 Chronicles. Come back here next time to hear Pastor Dave share more on Assure Hope.